Daily Rios for February 12th, 2013, 10 Tweet Tuesday. Haven't done one of these in a while, and I'm probably not going to spend too much time on some of these topics, but I picked out 10 tweets from today, from early this morning until now, of uh, different topics that uh, caught my eye, and then I thought, oh, you know what, I, I kind of want to talk about this, or I want to talk about that, or that uh, needs a little promotion, or whatever. So uh, you're going to hear uh, 10 different topics, and uh, as I said, I may not talk long about them, uh, because uh, I'm spending Valentine's tonight, because my pretty girl works all day Thursday, so we're going to do it tonight, and I have to go and cook. All right, so we're going to start with Brett Easton Ellis. Yes, that Brett Easton Ellis, who is an author of one of my favorite books when I was a kid, Less Than Zero. I don't mean as a, I don't mean that because it's a kid's book, because it certainly was not a kid's book. But I remember seeing the movie, and it's the movie that... It's really one of the reasons why I dig Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. Uh, found out that the movie was based on a book, so I went out and got Less Than Zero, the book, and it blew my mind that something could be so raw. Um, just realized in the past couple months, just learned that he wrote a sequel, actually, so I need to seek that out. But anyway, so Brett Easton Ellis, author, uh, writes, After watching the last episode of Girls Again, I'm convinced it was one of the best-written TV shows I've ever seen. I have not seen any episode of Girls. I keep hearing so much about it between stuff on the news and stuff on Twitter, and some people love it and some people hate it. Um, I have to admit that some of the comments, some of the cr criticisms against it make me think that I'm probably going to love it. So I really need to start watching the girls. Uh, the girls. I need, I need to start watching girls. Uh, and just, just to see how in your face it actually is and, and to see why it's pissing off so many men. Right? Like, it's pissing off so many men on Twitter, <laughs> which makes me think, uh, I don't know, maybe they just need to get some tougher skin. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I need, I need, to, I need to see it. I want to see it. I think I'm going to love it, so I need to see it. Uh, this is from The Real Comic Wow, which is an online social network for the comic book industry. Uh, you can find it at comicwow.com. They have something like 15,000 followers on Twitter. I have never heard of it before today. This was actually a retweet. Um, from Dave Dwanch, who uh, was in the hospital recently. So, Dave, I hope you're getting better. Um, so, the real comic wow, they tweeted, Jeff Johns leaving Green Lantern with issue 20. Now, I already knew this, but I thought, you know what, this is a, a way that I can kind of talk about this news a little bit, right? So, here, Jeff Johns writing Green Lantern for almost 10 years. He built a franchise out of this one character. In fact, People probably don't know this, but um, before Jeff Johns uh, got on the Green Lantern book, before he resurrected Hal Jordan in Green Lantern Rebirth, Dan DiDio, in an interview, said that he wanted Green Lantern to be the fourth part of the Trinity, for lack of a better uh, phrase. Um, basically, he wanted the cornerstone characters of the DC Universe to be Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Green Lantern. And sure enough, that premonition came true, right? I'm not talking quality, I'm talking franchise, I'm talking a character that made it all the way to a movie, regardless of the quality. Um, also made it all the way to an animation series, even though it's being cancelled. Uh, it's huge, right? The Green Lantern side of things... Just, I mean, look, there are four Green Lantern titles out there right now. I mean, that's big. Um, 
and you know Jeff Johns and all the artists and all the editors and 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 the you know the spilling out into other titles I mean they did they made that a cornerstone of the DC universe right like when you talk about cornerstones when you talk about certain factions within the DC universe right there's always been like the superman side of thing things and the batman corner um, the Justice League corner, the Legion of Superheroes, Teen Titans, right? Some of these smaller franchises, uh, you know, like Wonder Woman, they really, you know, that that never really had a corner, right? It never really was a pivotal uh, keystone of the DC universe. But Green Lantern suddenly became that, and and suddenly there was a whole universe, and suddenly. DC was being led by what was going on in the Green Lantern books between, well, obviously Blackest Night, right? Which, which I at one point called the greatest, uh, excuse me, the the finest event that DC had ever produced at that time. And uh, I got a lot of flack for saying it, but it really was. When you think about how it blew up the DC mythos and how it led the DC universe for a number of years, and and Blackest Night as an event, um, outside of the quality of it. As an event, as the marketing, you know, the marketing, the build-up for it, the way it used DC mythology and the way it, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Johns and company uh, really established this whole new way of looking at the DC universe and and then the tie-ins and the crossovers and then the merchandise, right? Not only the rings that they gave away, not only the toys that suddenly blew up because now we had red lanterns and yellow lanterns, etc., but um, they also did that interesting thing where they resurrected canceled titles for one issue. And suddenly we had a Blackest Night crossover in Starman, Starman 81, or Phantom Stranger, or Catwoman, or uh, I think there was a Weird Western Tales, possibly. So that was unique. It was That's kind of interesting. It was an interesting way to do a crossover. Um, and... Uh, you know, there were a lot of people who said that they were when they were reading Blackest Night, it was an interesting way to read it as it went through the Green Lantern books, or you could just read the seven issues, and, or how many uh, issues it was, seven or eight. Um, and it was big. It was big for them. DC needed it at the time. They needed something that big. And, uh, you know, regardless of the spill-off at the time, that event took everything by storm, and it, and it capitalized on a lot. Um, so... Yeah, you know, John's hemming, helming the Green Lantern universe for as long as he has. Uh, it's going to be inter interesting to see who's following up, not only on that book, but most of the other writers are also off of the other titles. I don't even know if they're being canceled or if the writers are just uh, leaving, but it's going to be interesting to see where they all go. I was always worried that they were going to try to blow up the universe too big with all that Green Lantern stuff, but, um, you know... Let's see. It, I think what would be really interesting, and I've always wanted this, is if they would just end the Green Lantern titles and just let them disappear for about five to six months, you know, and just don't let anybody on them, um, and and just let the the whole thing wrap up, let the story wrap up, and have him show up in Justice League or wherever else he shows up, and then and then you know what? After a while, build. Build your audience's excitement back up for for the the title. You know, let them miss it. It's it's sometimes good to miss characters and miss titles, right? Let them off the shelves for a while, and then suddenly when they come back, you're like, you know what? I didn't realize how much I missed it. I'm gonna go back and read it. That's just a crazy thought I have. I know publishers don't think that way. 
uh, obviously, you know, don't feel like you need to respond and say, well, that'll never happen because I know that, but it's just, you know, it's just a, a pipe dream. All right, let's keep going here. Geek Syndicate is a podcast and also on Twitter. They tweeted that the schedule for the London Super Comic Convention has actually been posted, and I picked that as a tweet because, number one, just to say that obviously I'm not going this year, um, there was a, a good chance I could have gone but I just sort of let it slide this year, so I will not be at the London Super Comic Convention. But they do have their listing, their schedule of panels up, um, everything from celebrating 50 years of Marvel's greatest characters, um, Daredevil Through the Ages with David Mack and Bill Sienkiewicz and Klaus Janssen, uh, a Dread panel, a cosplay competition, a look at Top Cow, uh, a look at Batman Through the Ages, a focus on Zenoscope, and, and so many more. So you can go to the website uh, for um, London Super Comic Con, which is londonsupercomicconvention.com, and you can buy your tickets and check out the uh, events uh, and everything that is going on, and check out all the artists uh, and creators that are going out there. All right, next up we have, this comes from Frank Bedor, who is uh, a movie producer but also a writer of the Looking Glass Wars not set of novels. It's a trilogy. It's a, it's a little bit of a spin on the Alice in Wonderland concept, um, and it, and it sort of postulates that uh, Alice actually was from uh, Wonderland, but was sent to our Earth, and then was brought back, and that's where you get the whole Alice in Wonderland um, uh, story. Uh, but yet, it's told in a different way. And not only did he write The Looking Glass Wars, the novels, but he also wrote a series of comic books called Hatter M, which is obviously the Mad Hatter, as a very uh, Inspector Gadget meets James Bond type character uh, with all these gadgets. And uh, some of the original comics were by Ben Templesmith. Um, But anyway, uh, the reason I picked this up uh, we did a, a number of interviews with Frank uh, over on CGS back in the day about the Looking Glass Wars, and I read the first volume of the trilogy, and it's very, very good. Uh, I quite enjoy it, and I loved all the Hatter M stuff. Um, that was, uh, you know, a lot of fun. Well, they uh, are putting out uh, a Hatter M Zen of Wonder Kickstarter, and I'll include a link. Um, and it's basically just the next chapter in uh, the Hatter M. Uh, graphic novel companion series, volume four, as a matter of fact. The good thing about this Kickstarter, everything is getting ready to be sent to the printer. They just need, uh, you know, people's help to make it possible. Um, the other volumes in the Hatter M series are Far From Wonder, which is volume one, Mad with Wonder, volume two, and The Nature of Wonder, volume three. And uh, that's been with, uh, as I said, Ben Templesmith and Liz Cavalier and uh, Sammy uh, Makonin, I believe is the name is. Uh, so I'll include the link. Uh, check it out if it sounds like something that might be interesting to you. A whole new spin on, like I said, the Alice in Wonderland series. And Hatter M as her bodyguard, Hatter Madigan. You can also check out the novels, The Looking Glass Wars, Seeing Red, which is the second part, and Arch Enemy, which is the third part. All right, back to the tweets. We have from Mr. Phil. He writes, At the office in Brooklyn at 5.30 a.m. again today, the strange and exciting life of... Mr. Phil, get some sleep. Stop killing yourself. I know why you're doing this. Get some rest. We need to get to New York so that we can all hang out. Uh, From the Taylor Network, Daryl Taylor. 
you've been hearing is JK's Happy Hour promos uh, all last week on the Daily Reels. So I played it a bunch of times. Uh, that's a podcast that he does with JK Woodward, artist uh, from uh, IDW. Uh, so Daryl Taylor tweeted that the CW picked up Arrow for a second season. And like many shows, I still haven't even seen the first season. And so many people are talking about it. And there's all these little DCU nuggets. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, why haven't I watched this yet? It's probably because I'm trying to get through Smallville first. Um, I still haven't seen this season's episodes of Walking Dead. And the mid-season series just started. I got some TV watching to do. All right, Golden Age Comics tweeted, this is Bill Jourdain, tweeted that there is a PBS program on the history of Wonder Woman and other Wonder Women. So I looked it up, and sure enough, well, they, he provided a link, uh, and I'll do the same. Wonder Women, the untold story of American superheroines. It premieres April 15th on PBS, and it traces the fascinating evolution and legacy of Wonder Woman from the birth of the comic book superheroine in the 1940s to the blockbusters of today. Popular representations of powerful women often reflect society's anxieties about women's liberation. Go behind the scenes with Linda Carter, Lindsay Wagner, comic writers and artists, and feminist figures such as Gloria Steinem, Kathleen Hanna, and others who offer a counterpart counterpoint to the male-dominated superhero genre. Awesome. So I'll look forward to seeing that and seeing what that's about. Three more here we have from Well Watchers. They write, Why do so many comic book series slash arcs fall short in the end? Because they're overhyped and can't live up? Or do they just simply fall flat? I don't know if I necessarily agree with those two choices, and I know that's probably not the only uh, reason I think that maybe they would want to put out there. Both of those are sort of negative, right? Uh, you know, the first one, because they're overhyped and can't live up, meaning that, you know, maybe a series or a comic book series uh, hypes up their own ending and suddenly readers are let down by it because there's so much hype. Um, and then it, the second one, or do they simply, just simply fall flat, puts the onus on the creators. Um, but, you know, at some point, readers, the expectations of readers, have to kind of lighten up a little bit when it comes to ending. It's it's always amazing to me that, you know, you get to an ending and so many people are just divided on it. And you want to say, you know, on one hand, did you just build it up in your brain uh, and, and you got to the ending and said, you know, well, that's not what the way I would have done it. So then, of course, you hate it, right? Which is a fallacy. That's just a dumb way to think about it. Um, or you get to the end and you, again, you sort of expected something else, whether it had proof, whether it had, um, any kind of evidence within the series or not. And again, it doesn't match what you thought might've happened. Uh, um, or you just put too much weight on the ending, you know, and, and you want to be bowled over by the ending and, and really it's, it should be the journey plus the ending that, that brings it all together. I'm a little more forgiving when it comes to endings because, um, I just tend to like to look at the work as a process, and, and, and I like to see the journey. I mean, you're you're listening to someone who just about all but guessed the ending of 52 because of the evidence that was put out there in the series, right? In that weekly series that DC put out. Um, you know, I, I'm really good at connecting dots and, and guessing a lot of things that happen, you know, in, within some of these stories. Like, you know, there were a couple things that happened in Infinite Crisis that I guessed. There were a couple things that happened in Civil War that I guessed. Uh, you know, uh, obviously 52. So, 
when you when you can figure out the ending based on the what is being presented within the material, that's not always a bad thing, right? Unless it's really foreshadowed or just or it's just very very obvious, you know, in a in a in a very amateur way. But um, basically, what I'm trying to say is, you know, sometimes we have to allow the authors to tell the ending that they want to tell. I mean, obviously, especially with comic books. It, there's not, there aren't many writers who get to have their own say about a book. You know, even Civil War, Mark Miller writing that book, he, even he didn't get to write the story that he really, truly wanted to write. There were some editorial changes and there were some things that had to happen um, because of what was going on in the other books or what they want the, wanted the other characters to do or how they wanted their characters to turn out at the end. So, you know, nothing is done in a vacuum. And... Uh, you know, somewhere along the way, you have to imagine that these people are thinking about it and going, okay, well, we have to make this happen because of this, 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 and this. Or is maybe this is the better way to end this series. Or, um, uh, you know, or even in terms of like a standalone book of somebody, you know, like say, I don't know, Mark Wade writing Daredevil. I mean, even he has editorial uh, things that he has to be aware of. I mean, it's, again, these things aren't written in a vacuum. So, I think some of the, the 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 reasons why some of these these endings fall flat or they're overhyped, it's not always necessarily the publishers or the creators. Sometimes it's the readers just demanding and expecting way too much on these endings, um, even if they're even if when they're good, you know, even when they have good endings and 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 people sort of pan it. Uh, I think sometimes you get, where some readers just aren't they don't know how to give over to an author's pace and they don't know how to give over to the book. You know, they read it almost, they, it's almost like they're reading it at a distance. And not every reader does this, but they read it at a distance almost as if they're reading it down their nose. And they're like, okay, let me read this and let me see. Oh, yeah, oh, well, there's, there, there's that trope. Oh, well, I expected that. Or, oh, 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 that ending was so pat. Half the time, some readers already know what, what they're getting into because they've read previews or they've read spoilers. And, and you'll, how you can ever let a comic book go up against any of that, I'll, I just don't understand, right? So, um, it's an interesting topic. I, I sometimes think uh, we have to look uh, internally on, on that topic, but uh, I thought I would point it out nonetheless to see what kind of discussion that would kick up. Um, we have Owen K. Craig. He writes, he's a writer on uh, uh, Kill Shakespeare and also does a podcast, um, Panel Culture Podcast, plus also the Four Camera Flashback Podcast. He's out of Toronto. Uh, and he writes, can Stephen Sondheim please just write a song for a hit TV show so he can Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony already? To which I say, can Stephen Sondheim just write any new musical? <laughs> I just want I just want one or two more before he shuffles off this mortal coil. He's so old. Um, but I love him, and I just want another musical that's just as good as Sunday in the Park with George or Merrily We Roll Along or Company, another company, or Sweeney Todd, or just something. Just give us just give us something else, Stephen, please. All right, and lastly, from Solitaire Rose, he writes, uh, he writes this to me, actually. This was a reply to me. Uh, he says, Just saw that you are doing a podcast on how to podcast, Great idea. I've been doing it for three years and still have more to learn. To which I say, don't we all? I've been doing it for since 2005, and I still am learning new things. Um, part of the reason why I picked this tweet is because I forgot to mention Solitaire Rose is uh, Corey Strode. He's the, the individual who wasn't didn't quite favor solo podcasting for the longest time. 
and uh, you know was basically won over enough through the Daily Rios and other podcasts that he's starting up his own solo podcasting called uh, Solitaire Rose Radio, which I love. I love that title. Part of his Cray Z Comics and Stories uh, feed. So there's someone who, you know, didn't really quite like solo podcasting for a while and, and is suddenly now finding a new um, meaning behind it all and, and, and is talking about his, he wants to use it to talk about his stories in comics, you know, what he knows about comics and what he knows about comics history and how this information should be, you know, put out there so that people know it and can talk about it and can reference it, right? I love that. I love that idea and I love that he's doing that. So I'll include uh, a link in the show notes. So there you go. That's your 10 Tweet Tuesday for today. Thank you for staying with me on this. I hope everybody's having a great week so far. We'll continue on tomorrow with New Comics Wednesday. You can reach me at peter at thedailyreels.com or you can find me on Twitter at Peter J. Rios. All right, I will talk to you later. Bye.